He pastor at First Baptist Church of St. Peter's. He also serves as an adjunct instructor at Missouri Baptist. Did you all know that? Since 19, should I tell him the year, Pastor? Okay, yeah, I started when he was three in 1996. <laughs> Graduated from Dallas Seminary in 1987. He and his wife were married that same year in August, and they've been blessed with three married sons and six grandchildren. Give it up for Pastor Joe Braden. Well, these first two sessions, uh, the first session and this session, really underscore the emphasis that you guys have as a church family on uh, belonging. And, uh, of course, your, your pastor uh, gave you um, uh, just s- some really valuable words about a-, a glimpse of what it means to belong to um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, uh, of course... It, it, it's, it's good to be invited by your pastor to be here. Um, your, your pastor knows you better than I know you. Uh, and what that means is he's able to love you and serve you in ways that, that, I, that I can't. Uh, and, um, and yet, uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful for the privilege to be here uh, to, uh, I, I pray, to help you, to serve you and to love you by helping you for these next few moments as we look at the next segment of considering um, the subject of belonging. Now, on the one hand, it, it, at least initially, it feels like, it feels like uh, he got the best topic and he threw me under the bus. <laughs> I, I mean, just think about it. We get to belong to Jesus. We, I mean, just like, uh, we get to be, in the language of 1 Peter chapter 2, a people uh, uh, belonging to him, a people of his own possession, And so we can see why Peter would say in chapter 1 then, though we do not see him, we love him. And though we do not see him now, we believe in him with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of of our salvation, the salvation of our souls. So so it's like belonging to Jesus. Does it get any better than this? And then it's like, but Jesus has this crazy aunt. And, and this crazy aunt is like his church. No, that's not the way we should think about this. In fact, your pastor himself re- reminded us that, that the church is not Jesus' crazy aunt who's locked away upstairs somewhere. Yeah. The, the church is Jesus' dear bride. He loves her. He bled for her. He preserves her. And he's coming back for her. And so we think about belonging to this thing called church. And so to maybe think about that for a little bit, I want us to look at a bit of uh, Acts chapter... Well, we're going to look... We'll probably camp mostly at verse 41 of chapter 2, although I'll look back and and catch a glimpse of a couple of things going on in chapter 1 and some things going on earlier in chapter 2. But um, if I can manage this rightly, we'll end up probably focusing mostly on on what's being said in verse 41 of chapter 2. 
So let me pray, and then let's read uh, Acts 2, 41 to 47. So Father, now help us. Help us as your people who belong to you. We're thankful that you are jealous for your people. Jealous in all of the holy and perfect ways that, that when we think and live waywardly, you, you come and recollect us. Thank you for that. And thank you for the kind gift of not only allowing us to belong to you, but to belong to your bride, the church. So as we look at some things about your church and belonging to your church, help us. May your very words um, not just inform us, but transform us. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. We've got to jump in somewhere, so we might as well jump in here. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now I said we're going to camp mainly on verse 41. My mistake, I meant verse 42. You know what I meant. Uh, Verse 42, and they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And, 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 and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, them, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Two main points there in your uh, outline in your booklet for the weekend. I I first want to um, uh, have us take a a high altitude flyover and kind of do a, a broader consideration of belonging to the church. And, um, and you can pray for me in this first segment because um, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this first segment, although I think there's some important things that we could uh, hone in on and think about in terms of uh, broadly from the book of Acts, um, uh, considering the importance of belonging to the church by considering how important the church is in our Father's heart and plans. But then I I want us to look primarily out of verse 42, not 41, 42, and and maybe fly a little bit lower and uh, and take a little bit more narrower concentration on belonging to the church uh, as it's specified, particularly in the language of verse 42. Um, Now, The gist of it is this. First and foremost, we do belong to Jesus. By the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we belong to Jesus. But as soon as we say that we are a people who have been called to belong to Jesus, 
what I want us to think about this evening is to realize that we are also a people called to belong to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not, that's not God playing a dirty trick on us. That's not God saying, I've given you sweet Jesus, now I'm going to give you the ugly people uh, that also identify with sweet Jesus. Uh, uh, th th this is not a conversation of, now look kids, you're going to have to learn how to take the, the good with the bad. The good is Jesus and the bad's the church. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 that, that's not how God our Father does things. Every good and perfect gift comes from our, our Father above. He, he, and and part, certainly a wonderful aspect of His goodness is that by His Spirit He unites us to Jesus. But, but what I want us to see is that by His Spirit He also, as another good gift, unites us to His church. Now, the book of Acts has many wonderful themes that run through it. it there's, there's like some strong pieces of rebar that run throughout the entire book of Acts. And, and I want to touch on three strong themes for the purpose, I want to do this briefly, as brief, briefly as I can, for the purpose of establishing how each of, the, uh, of these strong themes that run through the book of Acts um, intersect and, and show us how they are tethered to the church in underscoring how important the church is to our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing, the first theme that runs through the book of Acts is what I would call there in your outline, the continuation of Jesus's ministry through the church. Now to, to begin to establish this first point, go back to chapter one of Acts and uh, look at the first couple of verses in the book of Acts. Now, and, and uh, let me preface this while you turn a chapter backwards and look over there. But really, when we're reading the, uh, the book of Acts, we're really reading the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Or, or if you want to flip it the other way, that's fine. Uh, when, when, we're, when we're reading the Gospel of, of Luke, we're really reading the prequel to the book of Acts. So you figure out which way you like it better, but that's, that's fine. Um, but my point is, the two books are meant to be together. There, there's, there's this organic relationship between Luke and Acts, and, and he touches on it right there in the first verse. He, he says there in Acts 1.1, in the first book, O Theophilus, which is the same guy tagged in the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Oh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have, now what it says, I have dealt with, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had been given after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, so this is how this is how Luke summarizes the Gospel of Luke. What Luke was about was about the Gospel of Luke was about was all that Jesus began to do and teach. I would suggest to you that that indicates what the book of Acts is going to be about. It's going to be about what Jesus now continues to do and teach. You say, now wait a minute. How does he continue to do what he started as recorded in the Gospel of Luke 
when it says right there in verse 1, he leaves. And we read by the time first chapter 1 is, is, is over, um, he has physically left the scene to, to go be with his father at his father's right hand. Well, the solution that we see worked out in the book of Acts, this theme of how the book of Acts is about a continuation of Jesus' ministry, a continuation of what he began to do and teach. He now continues doing it and teaching even though he's not physically there. How does he do that when he's not physically there? The spirit of Jesus is sent. And throughout the book of Acts, what we see Jesus continually doing and teaching is what he is doing and teaching by his spirit through his church. Now, there's a lot we could say about that, but the point I want to make in pointing out that point is that, that Jesus, by his spirit, is working through his church to complete what he has started. Now, that, how that hits me, that hits me with how important is the church to our Father's plans and purposes in this world. I mean, we're, we're tempted at times. Um, I mean, look, we don't have to be, um, we don't have to pretend here. Um, uh, 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 being a part of a local church is a daunting task. People crazy. I mean, I don't know how to more intelligently say that than just to say it that way. Uh, And so in that context, though, we're tempted, to, we're tempted to try to figure out another plan of attack here for our father. Or like, Lord, your church is crazy, and so we're just going to do something different. You know? um, we're tempted at times to, hear me, separate Jesus from his church and create the notion that we can be pro-Jesus and anti-church. And when we find ourselves thinking along those lines, I want to submit to you that we are not thinking biblically about this. Jesus is at work today through his church by his spirit. The book of Acts parses that out for us. It follows the theme of Jesus continues his doing and his teaching by his spirit through his church. Church ought to be important to us. Another theme, the second one is not just a continuation of Jesus' ministry is done through the church, but an expansion of God's kingdom is done by the church. Another theme in tracking through the book of Acts is, the, is this notion of the kingdom of God. L L Luke, uh, in his prequel, um, uh, records something about the kingdom of God as, as early as chapter 4 in the Gospel of Luke. And, and, and really, and that's in the context of the start of Jesus' ministry. From the very start of Jesus' public ministry, he, he couldn't quite get off subject. And that subject that he couldn't quite get off of was the notion of the arrival of God's kingdom. He says there in, in Luke 4, 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So why did Jesus come? To proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
and there was this long-awaited anticipation throughout the Old Testament that one day he would do just that, that one day God would fulfill every single one of his promises with the arrival of an anointed king who would unleash a realm on this earth where the happy blessings of God's good rule would be experienced among God's people. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that promised king who would establish God's good rule on this earth. But Jesus didn't always fit all of the expectations of what the nation of Israel thought a messianic king would be. I mean, even, and even after his resurrection, the, 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 the disciples the, slash the apostles are still kind of scratching their head. Look at, look at what they ask him in chapter 1, verse 6. So, so when they had come together, this is post-resurrection, they, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, we're still on that subject. I mean, and you get the point because if Jesus talked about anything in his public ministry, it was about the kingdom of God. So they're like, you're talking a lot about it. When, when, so what's up? You know, so is this, is this now the time? And he says to them, look at verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that my father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, of the earth. Jesus affirms, I think he's affirming there in those verses, uh, that, he, that God's still going to bring his kingdom in all of its consummated glory, and yet he's, he's nonetheless chiding his followers to not be too concerned about some of the details of the coming because they've got work to do. And that work was they were now being the ones summoned to bear testimony about Jesus himself being God's legitimate king. You shall be witnesses. This is in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the church is not exactly the same thing as the kingdom of God. But what the book of Acts unfolds for us and shows to us is that the church is the witness to and the outpost of God's kingdom. From the very first sermon that Peter will preach in chapter 2 to the very last verse in chapter 28, verse 31. The theme of God's kingdom is front and center to the church's message. In fact, that, 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 that marker there in Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I don't know if you've noticed it before. You probably know this already, but that's really a wonderful outline to the book of Acts. And, and, and because the book of Acts is really unfolding that how the message of the gospel of God's kingdom found in our Lord Jesus Christ is a message that starts being proclaimed right there in Jerusalem. That's chapters um, 1 through 7. Spills over into Judea and Samaria. That's, at, 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 that's chapters 8 through 10. And then continues through the ends of the earth. That begins in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, and, and, and we find it kind of open-endedly there in, in chapter 28. At the end of the book, Paul is in Rome, if you would, at the, at the edge of the, of the uttermost parts of the world at that moment. And here's what it says about him in verse 31, the last verse. He was there proclaiming 
the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. In other words, the message of the gospel of God's kingdom, the message, that is the message that the church has been entrusted to proclaim. That is our assignment. That is such a core aspect of our reason to existence, our reason for existence as a church, to proclaim the arrival, and then the ultimate consummation of God's kingdom. The church is to be the the announcer of the kingdom of God, the present demonstrator of the kingdom of God. That 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 is, we are to be the place where God's happy blessings of God's good rule is presently being experienced. God's kingdom is not fully here in all of its fullness, but the church is the present sphere where the life-sustaining power of God's kingdom is both expressed and experienced. Why do I say that? I say that again. Really another theme to reinforce the first point, and that is just like it's not biblically faithful to try to separate Jesus from the church and be pro-Jesus and anti-church, it's really not biblically faithful to, to be pro-kingdom of God and, and anti-church. We, we, we have to be careful that we never adopt a sloppy mindset that says things like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do kingdom work but I have no place in my heart for the church. No, it is the church that has been summoned by our king to do the work of the kingdom. And then a third thing that I would say briefly, just by the broad considerations, a third theme that starts in chapter 1 and runs through the end of the book is the notion, the theme of the presence of the Holy Spirit within the church. In fact, this theme is so dominant uh, in the book of Acts that it just, oh, it just overlaps with the first two points uh, that I've tried to make, the first two themes. The, uh, how does Jesus continue his ministry? He does it by his spirit through the church. Uh, uh, what is uh, the present expression of the kingdom of God at this moment? It, it, is, the, it, is, it, is, it is love, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. In, in, in fact, the Holy Spirit is such a strong theme in the book of Acts that I would suggest to you um, that a better n- subtitle for the book is not Acts of the Apostles. That's fine. I'm not going to fight with you about it. I mean, I'm smaller than you could beat me up anyway. But uh, I think a better, a better sub-theme for the book of Acts is Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's because it is the Holy Spirit who is filling Christ's people here in this book. And his, his presence is, is starting and unleashing itself right there in chapter 2. And as one of the followers of Christ who was filled with the Spirit in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, Peter begins testifying about Jesus. And, and we have the record of, uh, at least a good summary record of his sermon there in Acts chapter 2. He begins, and, 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 and filled with the Spirit of God, he begins to enunciate and proclaim uh, uh, who Jesus is and what he has done. The, the death, the burial, the resurrection, uh, and the ascension of our Lord Jesus. 
Jesus Christ. And he, he says there, look at verse 33 of chapter 2. He says there, um, being therefore, speaking of Jesus, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. But that was part of, part of, 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 of his lordship and his kingship now of Jesus is that in a sense, as king, he, he, he dispatches orders out his spirit to come upon his people. And that's why, that's why Peter would then almost kind of wrap up the sermon in verse 36 and says, let, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now, at this point in the book of Acts, then um, uh, Peter gets to that climax point in his sermon and uh, Peter is interrupted. The, the crowds, they, they got a question for, Jesus, uh, for Peter uh, and, and the others. And the question is basically, what do you want us to do with what you're telling us about Jesus and the Spirit? And look at verse 38 of chapter 2. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and uh, for for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, through, what Peter is saying is, here's what you can do with this. You, you need to turn to Christ. You need to stop turning away from Christ. You need to repent. You need to turn to Christ. And you need to publicly identify with Christ. That is, that is what, what baptism really is. It's, a, it's one's public testimony of faith in Jesus. It's, one, it's where someone publicly identifies with Jesus. So turn to Christ and publicly identify with Christ. And, and, and in that context, here's what you could bank on. You can bank on the forgiveness of your sins and you can bank upon the reception of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, several things that would be worthy of further consideration just in those verses thus far. But, but, but I, what I want to do is I want to direct your attention to the, the notion of the promise of the Spirit that is, that, is, that is to fall upon any and all who would turn to Christ and publicly identify uh, with, with Christ. Um, and and, and there's, there's two things in particular I want to focus upon. First, first I, I want to I observe what occurs to those who turned to Christ and publicly identified with Christ. And to do that, look at verse 41 of chapter 2. So those who received his word, in other words, those who, who heard, heard what Peter said about Jesus and repented and turned to Jesus, those who received his word, were baptized. Now, now, and here's a pop quiz. You didn't see this one coming. But, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added that day. It states that, that the ones, and there was, praise God, 3,000 of them that day on Pentecost. But it states that the ones who turned to Christ and who did that publicly through baptism, that they were added. To what? 
they were added. You guys are sharp. Yeah, they were. They were added to the church. Now I knew you could get the answer. A good teacher never asks a question that he's not going to. I mean, just I didn't want someone to say, "Well, it sounds like a squirrel," but I'll say Jesus. You know. But anyway, um, but they were added to the church. Now, 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 let's segue to the second major point. We've gone from broader considerations. In other words, just by virtue of the themes of continuation of Jesus's ministry the announcement of God's kingdom, and the presence of the Spirit. All three of those broad themes that sweep throughout the whole book of Acts reminds us of how precious the church is in the heart and plans of our Father. Now what I want to do, though, is, is, is now stemming out of verse 31... I, I want us to now look at verse 40, I mean 41. I want us to now look at verse 42 and, and, and take a, a bit narrower concentration on what verse 42 says to us about belonging to the church. When God calls us to belong to Christ, He calls us to belong to His church. But you know, I got to press that a little bit more. I, I, I got to be a little bit more feisty with, with this than I, and I have up to this point. I apologize for being too nice. But uh, um, in, other words, the, in other words, to press it in harder, the pattern that we see here in Acts chapter 2 um, that is maybe a bit more provocative is that when we are summoned by God to belong to Jesus, we are equally, simultaneously summoned by God to belong to a church. Not simply the church in general, meaning the universal, invisible church that comprises all peoples belonging to Jesus throughout all ages. I believe there's such a critter. There is. The New Testament does speak of this invisible, universal church. But honestly, that's not mainly how the New Testament speaks about church. Most of the references in the New Testament to the church are about churches. Not the universal church, but a particular church. About a local church, a visible, tangible, geographical, locatable gathering of Christ's people. A church. So my provocative statement then is that when God calls a person to belong to his son, he calls a person to belong to one of his son's churches in a visible, tangible, geographically locatable gathering of Christ's people. That's how the church is spoken of here. We're not talking about the church in general in Acts chapter 2. We're talking about the church particular in Acts chapter 2. Pardon the sarcasm, but we're talking about First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you invite a Baptist and you don't think you're going to get a dig like that? I, I mean, you know what I'd be if I wasn't a Baptist? I'd be ashamed of myself. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'm, no, I'm just kidding, folks. Look, us Baptists, we ain't much, and we ain't all God's got. So uh, it's all good. It's all good. Um, um, but 
It is a pleasure to be here at Liberty Baptist Church. But anyway. <laughs> the last time I'm here at Liberty Baptist Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in other words, those who are called to belong to Jesus. Do you see the pattern going on here? Those who are, what we see is just this seamless transition. They, they've, they've, they've turned to Christ. They've publicly identified with Christ through baptism. And, 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 and that very day, they're added. And you've already told me what they were added to. They were added to that church. They were added to that church. When they, when they publicly identified with Jesus, they were also publicly identifying with a particular gathering of Jesus' followers. Now, let me say one more thing about that. Because a while ago I said there's, there's two main things I wanted to say um, about those who turned to Christ and publicly identified with Christ. The, the, the first thing I said, I uh, just got done saying, is that those who turn to Christ and publicly identify with Christ through baptism um, also publicly identify with a church, a visible, tangible, ge- geographical, locatable gathering of Christ's people. The second thing that I want to make an observation, it relates to the fact that, I don't know, do you think, that, um, do you think it came through just like what Peter said? All who would turn to Christ and publicly identify with Christ would, in fact, receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you, I mean, do, you, do you think that Peter had his fingers crossed when he said that? Or do you think that that's really what happened? I think it really happened. And, and, and I'll tell you why I think, at least on the particular part of how I can tell you that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, it, it, it is, is that I want you to see the first immediate effect that the Spirit of God now had upon their hearts and souls. And, and verse 42 tells us that, that immediate effect that the Spirit had upon those whom he was now indwelling. It says, and they, verse 42, and they. Wait a minute. Just by way of review. Um, you knew what they were added to, but who's the they? Uh, well, the they are those who had publicly identified with Christ and in the context of a local gathering right there in Jerusalem. They, who's the they? they? They are the ones who had received the forgiveness of, our, of their sins and the gift only of the Holy Spirit. Them's the they. And what are we told that they did? Well... And they, verse 42, devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Those who publicly identified with Jesus through baptism, turned to Christ and publicly identified with him, in the context of then publicly identifying with a gathering of Christ's people, um, we are told that they devoted themselves. That's a... That's a beautifully strong word. To devote ourselves to something is not a casual, half-hearted decision of lip service. To devote ourselves to something is, is to commit with an intense internal resolution of steadfast fidelity. In fact, uh, some translations might read, uh, they continued steadfastly. Or uh, another translation says, and they continually devoted themselves. So this, is not, this was not just a drive-by wink and a nod of, yeah, that's my church. But this is, this is the 
This is the people who are filled with the Spirit of God and the, and the first immediate effect, the first tangible, visible proof that they've got the Spirit of God in them is that they now have a devotion to something. They, they now have a, a devotion to the level of commitment that connotes a tenacious attitude, a, an attitude of stick to even if it kills us. Not... Not merely a devotion because some big bully is forcing us into a corner on this church thing. But a devotion because there's the Spirit of God now inside of us whose heart is now yearning and pulsating to devote themselves to these things that are going on in this church there in Jerusalem. It, it, this, this devotion suggests an inner resolve that, that, that suggests that we would rather die than go back on our commitments. Wow. Who makes such a commitment today? Nobody makes a commitment like that today. Who, who, who has such resolute, tenacious determination to be so devoted I mean, we're told, you know what the problem with our culture today? And there's lots of them, and where do we begin? But one, one of the problems is uh, these young people these days, they've got no lack of commitment. And it's not just the young people. That's true. And it's also true that while the church is supposed to shape the culture and influence the culture, the fact of the matter is the culture often, too often shapes and molds the church, and that's sad and so, because the, cult, the culture's lack of commitment to anything beyond one's own navel uh, it shows up in church then. But we need to step back for a second and, and really, again, think through what's going on here in this passage. I mean, a, a cultural lack of commitment is probably not anything new. It's not a 21st century phenomenon. I, I venture to say it was probably a first century phenomenon. That's how we roll. What, what accounts for them now saying that, that they now have an eager, intense uh, compulsion and devotion to the church? What, what accounts for that? The, the, the real issue in the church is, 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 is it's not a lack of commitment per se. It's a lack of the Spirit's presence among God's people producing a devotion and a commitment. They devoted themselves... Why? Because the Spirit was now all over them and all in them. And it's just like your pastor a while ago was talking about God is jealous. And really, in a sense, one of the things I took away from that is, is that God has this jealous devotion to his people. So that when we think and act waywardly, he says, I'm coming to get you. Not, not because he's a mean ogre, ogre but because he's, he's, a, he's a loving, jealous, devoted God. Use my people. And so I'm not going to let my people go. You trail off, I'm coming to get you. Because I love you. 
It's that sort of devotion that our God has. And, and what I want you to see is when we talk about the Spirit of God indwelling us, we're really talking about the Spirit of God. We're, we're talking about a part of the very DNA of God himself now inhabiting our hearts. A God who is devoted to his people now indwells his people. And a bit of that devotion ought to be seeping out to, to be a mark of the Spirit of God within us. But I press it a little bit further. They, not, they, weren't, they weren't just devoted in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a conceptual or principled or vague way. Look, look at what it says as it continues on in verse 42. Uh, they, they were devoted to four specific activities. They were devoted in terms of that defined ways that they were actively participating in things going on there at that church. And, 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 and even, even when it you know, has like the definite article in front of each of those, it doesn't just say, and they voted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and to prayers. But you know, so it says, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship. The breaking of the of bread and the prayers. I would, I, I would suggest that putting that definite article in front of that really underscores that these were four non-negotiable essential features of the things that when the, when the Spirit of God showed up in people's hearts, they had a devotion to participating in those four things. So the first mark, the Spirit's devotion to the apostles' teaching. The, the first mark of the Spirit in Christ's people is a devotion to the apostles' teaching. Now, what's the apostles' teaching? I think at, at this point in history, the apostles' teaching is the Scriptures. Certainly the New Testament, but since the apostles um, gladly used um, the uh, scriptures that they had, the Old Testament, I think it involves those as well. In other words, my point is, is that when God's spirit shows up in the hearts of God's people, God's people are eager to learn from God's word. When your pastor starts to uh, walk up here, you, you're just like, bring the book. Open the book we got to hear from the book. I say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? The, I mean, look, it just stands to reason that a prime mark of the Spirit in our hearts and lives is a genuine devotion to receive the Word of God because who penned the Word of God? The Spirit of God moved on these guys' hearts. And so the Spirit of God is moving upon our hearts to hear the words that He moved upon those guys' hearts to write to us. So we, we want to gather in, 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 in our church because we've got to hear a word from God. And, and, not, look, and not just because then I get to be smarter than you. And I get to be big-headed and pompous and, and, and show off about my Bible knowledge. No, this is, this is far more than information. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform the people of God into the image of the Son of God. It's a non-negotiable. The spirit, and then a second, second mark is, the, is, is in Christ's people is a, is a devotion to, it says they're the fellowship. And 
and, and I, I think the quickest way to just get our mind around what does it mean by the fellowship, it's the other people you gather with. God's people have a devotion and therefore are eager to love on God's other people. Devotion in fellowship is shown in our interest in others around us and then an inclination to sharing life with them. The the New Testament specks out over 40-something tangible expressions of, of, of what it looks like to lovingly share life in fellowship with other people. We are to encourage one another. We are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to counsel and instruct one another. We are to admonish one another. We are to weep with one another. And we're to rejoice with one another. We're to share our goods with one another. We're to practice hospitality with one another. It was last year, wasn't it? We are, we are to accept... Y'all don't remember? I remember. But we, are, we are to accept one another. We are, we are to be gentle with and forgiving of each other. We are to seek the good of one another. We are to submit to one another. We are to clothe ourselves with humility before one another. We, uh, we are to speak the gospel or speak the truth to one another. We are to regard others as more important than ourselves. In other words, there's a lot of, when it talks about the fellowship, it's not talking about simply the raw institutional side of, of, uh, and structural side of church life. It's talking about the people side of church life. That's what's important. And it only stands to reason that a prime mark of the Spirit uh, uh, manifesting himself in hearts of his people is that we would have a loving devotion to relationships and friendships within the church that we belong to. Why? Because the church elsewhere in the New Testament is actually called the fellowship of the Spirit. He is wise. Think about this. And he intentionally and wisely places people where he wants them to be. So the people that you go to church with, those are exactly the people that he wants you to go to church with. And he wants you to encourage them and stimulate them and bear their burdens and admonish them and to weep with them and to rejoice with them and share goods with them and be gentle with them and forgiving toward them and give preference to them and serve them and seek the good of them and submit to them and clothe yourself with humility toward them and speak the gospel to them and regard them as more important than yourself. In other words, just, we're not talking conceptually. You're like, yeah, if I had a people that I went to church with that I really liked, then I, yeah, I could do those things. But I'm stuck with these guys. <laughs> it's not about who you're stuck with. It's about, is there a mark of the Spirit within your heart? A third thing, I got to go quick. Uh, a third mark of the Spirit in Christ's people is a devotion to the, 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 the breaking of the bread. It's hard to really sort out what he's referring to here. And I, I think what he's referring to here is kind of a, a, a dual thing. It, it, it's, it, really, he's talking about a, a feast of sorts. One of the things that we know about the early church is that the Lord's Supper was typically done in the context of a corporate community family meal. 
Well, of course, things got out of control at the church at Corinth over that. But, but even then, he didn't tell them to stop it. He just didn't stop that. Don't stop it entirely. But just don't be so stupid when you do it. But, um, but, but it just, it, it, so it, it's in the context of a shared meal together. Which Doesn't that not ooze family? I mean, who do you eat with? You eat, you, you, you eat with your tribe. You, you eat with your people. You eat with your family. And, and that's really the imagery he's getting here, that, that you, you sit down and have a meal with the people that you go to church with. And, you, and, and, and in particular, you, you do that in, in, a very, in a very specified way of a joyful celebration of remembering the broken body and shed blood of our Lord. It only stands the reason that the breaking of the bread, a, a devotion to the breaking of the bread is a prime mark of the Spirit because in the Lord's Supper, we remember. And what is a prime function of the Holy Spirit? When Jesus said in John 14 through 16, I'm leaving, but I'm going to bring another one. And he's going to bring to remembrance all the things about me and all the things I've taught you. The Spirit brings to remembrance. The Spirit helps us when we gather in Jesus' name and have a meal together and celebrate the Lord's table together. The Spirit is present with us, perhaps in ways that he's not even present with us in other ways, to impress upon our soul that we are feasting from the grace of Christ. A fourth mark, and uh, it's probably good that I'm about out of time, uh, that I'm out of, out of, am out of time because this one's going to make us all squeamish. Um, a fourth mark of the Spirit's presence in Christ's people is a devotion to the prayers. You, you cannot read through the book of Acts without seeing the impact upon the early church of the people of God coming together to offer the sweet prayers to God. The Spirit fell down on them in Acts chapter 2 in the context of praying together. When they had their first little brouhaha in Acts chapter 6 and they had to come up with this creature called deacons and even there we're seeing that they prayed together. It wasn't a creature from the Black Lagoon. It's just a, it's a gift from God is what it was. I didn't mean it that way. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but... When, when the church is about to push forward into Acts 13 and, and to go from Ju Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, and Acts 13 is they're sorting this thing out, what are they doing? But they're praying and fasting, and seeking the Lord, and the Lord speaks to them and gives them direction. Set apart Paul and Barnabas for me. It only stands to reason that... that that the prayers are a mark of the Spirit among God's people because we, we, we are told in the Scriptures that, that we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Nothing reflects our desperate confidence for the need for the Spirit than when we pray. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. A church that is willing to pray together is a church that is exhibiting the mark of the spirit because it is a church that is renunciating once again all human means and worldly methods.
I got to wrap this up. So those are, those are I want to say those are four things. But really what I'm trying to say is those are the four things. Well, what about other things? Other things, might I suggest to you, are non-essential to God's purposes in His church. Permissible, perhaps. That's fine. Permissible, permissible only insofar as the extracurricular stuff does not replace or crowd out the essential stuff. We ain't got time to do the Word or to do the prayers. We've got too much activity going on here in the church. I mean, uh, now this, this ought to be an encouragement to us because I, we, we are bombarded in our church culture today with this notion of Man, to really have a church that's hopping and going, we, I mean, we've got to get us a laser light show. No, you don't need a laser light show. You need the Spirit to drench your hearts. We need the wind of the Spirit to blow through our churches. Say, well, but what about the children's bouncy house in the trampoline village? What about the Spirit being present with God's people? And that Spirit shows Himself out by God's people having a devotion to learn God's Word and to seek God in prayer and to love well on each other and to celebrate a meal together around our Lord's shed blood and broken body. Is that all you got? It's not the question. Is that all you want? You see, when the Spirit of God gets within us, we begin to desire and want and love the things that the Spirit of Christ desires and wants and loves. So what do you want, church? I would just add one other thing. When we talk about a devotion to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, this is not God saying, now look, my son hung on the cross and suffered. It's about time you show up and do a little bit of that and suffer as well. I'm just saying. That's not, how, that's, not how the, that's not how this works. When God designs these, these, these habits and these practices of the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, this, this, is, this is not Him playing a cruel joke on us. This is our loving Father in all of His infinite wisdom and devotion to us saying, and you know what? When my spirit moves upon your heart 
to engage in these things, then you are availing yourselves of the very means of grace, the very practices and habits that I lovingly have provided for you, that I've given to you for your good to foster your spiritual development and to enhance your growth in Christ-likeness. These are just some other gifts I've given to you to help you. And I've given you my spirit to want those things. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you take care of us. You give us Jesus. And since you've given us Jesus, how will you not also, along with him, not give us all things? So we thank you. We thank you tonight that one, some of the good things that you've given to us is you've given us a place to belong. And you've given us some particular things to do as we belong to this place for our good. So we received these gifts and thank you for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wasn't that good? That was very good. Thank you, Pastor Braden. Father, I thank you um, for the word from Pastor Braden, and it's a word that we need to hear and receive, and the essentials, Lord, those four things, and it really is about, is that what we want? Is that what we really want, Lord? And um, make that be our heart's cry, God, to really want those things um, by your Spirit. We thank you, God, that you are good. We thank you that you love us, that you call us um, to yourself, to belong to Christ, and you call us to belong to your church, um, the universal church, but also the local church. And we thank you that we have a body of believers here who do love you, Lord. I pray you'd continue to speak to us that um, the things that we heard tonight, the things that we will hear tomorrow, that you would plant um, in our heart, God, and they would bear fruit and we would act on them for your glory. We pray this in the authority of your son, Jesus. Amen.